The following is intended only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Brave souls, and welcome to another night of spine-tingling dread on Anthology of Horror. I am your host, Springheeled Jack, and tonight we have a haunting tale penned by a new addition to our sinister family, Kylie Reed. In the shadows of our network, Kylie's story, aptly titled Hell, awaits your trembling ears. Prepare to journey to the abyss as we explore the darkest corners of the human soul. Her narrative prowess will chill you to the very bone, I guarantee it. But before we plunge headlong into this descent into madness, remember to visit our merch store at AOHPmerch.com. Discover our sinister treasures, including the limited edition Halloween t-shirt, featuring my very own eerie mugshot. And speaking of Halloween, remember that we have a new episode every day for the entire month of October. Yes, you heard that right. 31 nights of unrelenting terror, so don't forget to check back daily for more spine-tingling stories that will haunt your dreams. Now gather your courage, for we embark on a journey into hell, courtesy of our talented contributor, Kylie Reed. Hell, Part 1, 1996 I feel as if I'm going mad. Is that even possible when my existence is undecided? Am I even real? I have everything it takes to be real. I have a brain, a body, and I have feelings, but none of them are mine. I am trapped inside of a body that is a stranger to me. I don't even know how it happened. I woke up, or he woke up, and I was stuck in this body that I don't recognize. But everybody says that at least once in their life, don't they? Do you ever look in the mirror and not recognize the person staring back at you? And it's always because of some kind of midlife crisis, because you've lost sense of who you are inside. But what about the outside? What happens when the face staring back at you is literally somebody else? I don't know how I got here. I know that I'm dead, and I'm reaping the sins of my life through the body I'm in now, but I don't know why. I spent my life as a rather boring person. I was too nerdy for my own good. I had a few girlfriends, but I never married, and I fathered no children. It was just something that I wasn't meant to do. I found myself more attracted to the women on TV than any of the ones I met in real life, and they knew that. I was always the one who would get dumped, but I didn't mind. No physical girlfriend meant no lecturing about parts of my life I didn't care about. I was always a free man. But despite not being great in the romance department, I still did my best to be a good person. I didn't curse, steal, or covet. I would help the elderly if they needed it. I wanted to be a good person. I had no reason not to be. I died when I was 63 years old. I was relatively healthy, but suffered a massive stroke after a run. I honestly hated going outside of my apartment most days, so the laughter never stops for me that leaving it is what killed me. Nobody tells you when you die. Your soul is removed, but you're still essentially you. You can hear speak, see, 
You just have no physical form. It's almost like being a ghost. But once I was placed inside of another body, I became completely transparent and obviously smaller. Everything and nothing are the same. On the bright side, nothing can hurt you. On the downside, everything goes out the window once you're sentenced. With my life being so boring, I never understood how I could be sentenced to an eternity in hell. I didn't rape or murder anybody. I barely had sex as it was. I spent more time jerking off to the women on my TV shows, something none of my girlfriends appreciated. But Satan doesn't see differences in sin, he just sees sin. When I was plucked from my body, I awoke in hell, and it's exactly as you would imagine it. Fire everywhere, a lot of screaming, and a large but well-put-together monster overseeing everything. The only part that I didn't understand was there wasn't anyone else there except for Satan. Were the screams on tape like it was some kind of a horror house? Satan sat upon his throne, high above me, and ignored my obvious terror at the sight of him. He was very large, very dark, and had two ginormous horns sticking out of the top of his head, and black, soulless eyes that bore into me. His nails were long and black too, and he pointed one right at me. Henry Kingston, died, age 63. I sentence you to an eternity in hell. Not wanting to backtalk the fucking devil, but also disagreeing with my diagnosis, I asked as calmly as I could, but why? I didn't do anything wrong in my life. I didn't cheat, lie, or steal. I didn't rape or murder anybody. I was a fat, homely nerd for God's sake. Satan raised his eyebrows and gave a small laugh, but he didn't elaborate on the subject. It was pretty disconcerting, having the literal devil laugh in your face, and there was no one around to help you. But where is God? I asked stupidly. This made Satan laugh a little too hard for my liking. God? There's no God, Henry Kingston. Not down here. There's only I, and my punishment shall be what I say. I wish I could remember anything else. I awoke in this stranger's body a while later, and I've been here ever since. I'd be lying if I didn't say I'd almost had another stroke when I came to and had no control over my own body. It took me a full day to really come to terms with what was going on, and so far, I guess it's been alright. He's pretty quiet, not very exciting, but he's not boring either. He works for some firm, and he's very well off. But he's a little awkward with the ladies too, so I like him well enough. I've tried on several occasions to talk to him or get his attention, but he clearly cannot hear or feel me. I wondered if there was someone else in my body when I died, and that made me very uncomfortable. Every day he starts his morning with a jog and a protein smoothie. He showers and styles his messy brown hair and flashes himself a big smile in the mirror after he's brushed his teeth, and again when he's gotten dressed. He always wears a suit. I've gathered that it's mandatory at his job. I've been in his body for about a year now, and he's never really done anything too crazy. He lives the same kind of life that I did, finding comfort in repetition. Only he's more important than I ever was. His name is Thomas Potter, but everybody calls him Tom. He's really a very kind man, albeit a little awkward. He seems to always do the right thing, even if he must go out of his way to do it. He just aims to be everyone's best friend, and I admire that in him. I found myself being kind-hearted, but the less interaction I had with people, the better. Is that why I went to hell? I wasn't nice enough? Enough? That doesn't exactly seem fair, but life isn't fair was constantly shoved down my throat my entire life, so 
Make of that what you will. Tom does data entry. It's rather boring, and I know the feeling. But he makes good money doing it, and his lavish two-bedroom apartment says so. The stores he likes are only three blocks or less away, and he's got a great view of the ocean. He lives close enough to his work so he walks every day, even when it rains. It's only six blocks, and he enjoys the extra exercise. I've learned that about him. If he can walk, he will. He definitely likes to exercise. I did not. His block is pretty safe. I've never seen any kind of criminal activity or any weird people since I've been with him. I assume he either lives in a rich neighborhood, or the criminals are getting smarter. I don't really worry, as it's not like anything can hurt me. But I like Tom, so I want him to be safe. He doesn't deserve to be snuffed out because of some jackass, wrong place, wrong time scenario. But Tom has his wits about him, so I don't worry too much. He spends most of his nights cooking dinner for himself, occasionally having friends over. He reads a lot. He spends his weekends going on hikes or reading more books. He prefers to be alone, which I support wholeheartedly. He's almost as boring as I was, but in a much more fun way. And he definitely doesn't jerk it to space babes. I actually really like Tom. I've enjoyed spending my time with him. In a way, I get to do things I never got to do in my own life, whether I wanted to or not. At least, I'm being cultured and seeing the world. It's August 29th. He's on his way to work. After his usual morning routine of exercise, showers, and smiles, it's a warm summer morning, and I'm honestly surprised as to how he doesn't sweat his ass off on his walks during the summer. He waves at people, and he gives them the brightest smiles, flashing his pearly whites and his glassy blue eyes. He really is something. There isn't anything different about this day from any other days I've spent with him, but I still woke up with an uneasy feeling. I think he felt it too because his smile wasn't as cheery as it usually was. He didn't do anything differently. He's done the same routine for just about a year now, probably several years now, but there's something different. I try to ignore it as Tom looks before crossing his third block. We pass a man halfway across the street, and when he locks eyes with Tom, the world suddenly slows down like in the movies, and I know something terrible is about to happen. I try and convey this to Tom, but I still cannot get through to him. And he smiles and says good morning to the man anyway. God damn you, Tom. The man is dirty and has dark, greasy hair and dark pools for eyes. I see no soul behind those eyes. His clothes are not the greatest, but he still looks relatively put together, despite not being showered. He gives Tom a smile, and suddenly I can feel something I've never felt before, and there's a sudden weight upon us. Tom is scared. I've never been able to feel any of his emotions before. Normally I'm just a spectator to his life, but I can feel the icy shivers that go down his spine, along with the sweat that erupts on his forehead. It's like he knows that something terrible is about to happen too. He should run into the nearest open business, but instead he just shakes off his feelings and continues walking towards his work. He still has three blocks to go. Inside of his head, I turn around and the man has turned around in the middle of the street and is now following Tom. Jesus Christ. He's about a half block behind Tom, but his walking gets quicker and his smile is glued onto his face. He's like a walking fucking nightmare, and I know he wants Tom to face him, but Tom keeps walking, his heart rate increasing, pounding in my head. He keeps following Tom down an entire block of the street, his pace slowly increasing with every step. Tom knows this man is following him, but he doesn't turn around to ask why. 
and there were no people on the streets now. There was nobody but Tom and this man, and I guess me. But a fat lot of help I will be if something goes wrong. I close my eyes for a second because his smile is so goddamn scary. It's almost like he's looking right at me. Can he see me? And when I open my eyes again, he's even closer to Tom, and now he has this horrendous smile on his face, and one of his hands is wielding a fucking knife. And he's getting closer. I yell out to Tom to turn around and face his attacker because this man is about to strike. A crowd of people suddenly overflow from a coffee shop, and the man is forced to extinguish his ungodly smile and shove the knife back into his pocket, and he turns back around and begins to walk away from Tom. I breathe a sigh of relief and keep watching for another minute to make sure the man doesn't come back. Tom keeps walking, and I can feel his fear beginning to ebb. I wonder if he knows how close he was to being stabbed in the middle of the street. A few minutes later, he reaches his building and walks in, and I don't see the man again. After working a later than usual day, Tom decides to have dinner in town instead of at home. Normally, he would go home and turn on some relaxing music and cook dinner and read a book until bedtime, but tonight he wants a burger from a pub across the street and, against my better judgment, because of the past events from this morning, sets off to meeting his co-workers at the pub. I am giving him a rousing lecture on how to not become a story on the 10 o'clock news, but he doesn't seem to listen to me. He's all smiles and yawns as he goes to cross the street, this time in the opposite direction of his home. Again, I feel the chills. I feel the fear. I look around in every direction, but I don't see anything that would cause Tom to feel so frightened. The cars are waiting for him to cross more kindly than usual. There are many people in the city tonight, and they are all in their own little worlds. The tourists have their hands full of bags and of food, and they are full to bursting with joy. So why is Tom having a panic attack? I keep twisting around in his head, and I scan the streets, and between the people, for anything out of the ordinary, until I lock eyes with a man with a smile so cold I feel my own metaphorical heart fucking plummet to the ground. He's in the goddamn pub. He's sitting just tables away from Tom's co-workers, and he knows that Tom is coming to meet them. Why doesn't he just go home? There are enough people on the streets that Tom will be safe. Or he could call a taxi. There are payphones on every block. He could even ask a stranger for help. It's the 90s for fuck's sake. Why does he keep walking towards the pub, towards the man? No cheeseburger is worth your life, Tom. Tom! I scream at him as loudly as I can, trying to get his attention to turn around and go home, but he just keeps walking towards the man with the smile and the knife in his pocket, and the fear is pulsating through Tom's body. God damn you, Tom. He enters the pub, the sound of glasses plinking together, and laughter fills his ears, and his fears begin to wane again. He turns toward the bar, and I watch as the man walks past him without a second glance, back out into the street. But just before the pub door closes, the man turns around and looks directly at me and smiles. Jesus, can he see me? Does he know I'm with Tom? This is all too creepy for me. It feels like a bad horror movie. Tom is going to be murdered, and I just have to sit around and watch because he's not smart enough to fucking do something. The door closes. The laughter resumes. Tom is calm, and I am not.
Several hours pass and Tom is very clearly drunk and so are his co-workers. None of them call for cabs and the old man in me is severely judging them for being so stupid. It's well past midnight and the city is empty and these morons all live in opposite directions. Tom waves goodbye to his posse and sets off towards his home, six dark blocks away. I am scanning the area as quickly as I can, praying to the god who rejected me to keep Tom safe another night. He can't go out like this. He can't die with this being his story. So far so good. The streets are silent, and Tom is as happy as can be. I feel no fear in him right now. He must have completely forgotten about the smiling man. Dumb shit. I can't protect you if you won't protect yourself, Tom. I can't protect you. My anxiety is through the roof, the whole six blocks home. Tom is whistling some show tune, completely oblivious to the outside world. Every step he takes, I'm counting down how many steps he has left. Guestimating, really, I'm spinning around in his head, looking through every crack and crevice to make sure the monsters are staying put. He keeps whistling. I tell him to shut the fuck up, but he ignores me. Two blocks to go. I still don't see anyone out with us. We are going to make it, I hope. One block to go. We're so close. Come on, Tom, walk faster. Eyes about. Pay attention, goddammit. He pulls out his keys. I hear a twig snap behind us and I spin around. Oh no. No one is there. Tom doesn't hear the noise as he lets himself into his apartment building. He locks the door behind him, and the alcohol really sets in as he stumbles up the stairs to the elevator to his 18th floor apartment. I breathe a sigh of relief. Tomorrow is a new day. How Tom wakes up with no hangover is astounding to me. Oh, to be young again. I believe he's in his mid to late 20s. I'm not entirely sure, but it doesn't matter. He's obviously younger than I was when I passed. As he gets ready for another workday, he listens to the news report on his television. There's talk about some robberies and assaults adjacent to his neighborhood. He's mildly concerned, but pays no mind after a while. I'll just be a little more vigilant, Tom says to himself, and not walk home drunk, I muse. Last night was rough on both of us. I sleep when Tom sleeps, but I also wake up when he does, and he was pretty restless last night. I wish I could ease his fear, as well as shake some sense into the boy. I do agree that one should be able to live life as if no harm will ever befall them, but at the same time, be as fucking prepared as possible should the situation arise. Tom is slender and tall, but he is not the strongest around. Just looking at his co-workers, I would bet they could kick his ass no problem. The longer I spend in Tom's head, the more comfort I feel. He's calm and kind. If this is hell, then I'll take it. Be on the lookout for a man in his 40s. Witnesses describe him as a little jarring to look at. The news continues as Tom styles his hair in the mirror. Please be careful, Tom. Today is Friday. Why Tom and his co-workers went drinking on a Thursday I'll never understand, but at least the week is almost over. He usually spends his weekends alone, if he goes out during the week, which means that he will be safe for a few more days. He sets off on the usual route, closing his apartment door, walking down the stairs and through the main building door out into the street. He has no doorman on patrol, something I never thought twice about until last night. It's been so uneventful since I awoke in Tom's body that I never really stopped to think about how something as simple as a doorman could really be instrumental in keeping everybody safe. The air feels warm, but summer is coming to a close soon. I prefer the fall over the summer, so I can hardly wait for the weather to change. 
Tom seems to spend his time with his family upstate. They're nice enough. He is just like his father, quiet and well-read. His mother is beautiful and seems to be a great cook. Everyone at their family gatherings couldn't get enough last holiday. The sun is beginning to shine down over the city. Sleepy people are making their way to their favorite coffee shops and Tom waves his usual hello to strangers. I feel no fear in him this morning. Perhaps yesterday was just a fluke. Hopefully that man does not reappear. His workday is like all of the rest. Only Tom leaves early instead of working late. He waves goodbye to everybody and wishes them a happy weekend and sets off in the opposite direction of his apartment to a grocery store he seems to love. He's going to make a salad for dinner, a little boring but still refreshing on a hot summer's day. I don't know how Tom doesn't pass out from the heat, especially since he has to wear a suit to work every day. Suits are too much for the summertime, but his office has a very strict dress code. There are many people on the streets today. Many of them are workers like Tom, but most of them are tourists. I love watching them. I love watching them walk around with as many bags as they can carry and then some and eating different foods they found around the city. A lot of them seem to like hot dogs, probably because you can eat them with one hand and shop with the other. Being with Tom has made me feel less angry. When I first awoke inside Tom's head, I spent a long time yelling for help, yelling at Tom, yelling at myself, yelling at anybody who would hear me. Tom was so cheery that it made me sick. I couldn't understand what I had done in my own life to be punished in such a way. I didn't like to interact with a lot of people when I was alive, and watching Tom acknowledge literally as many people as he could was exhausting for a while. I thought he was an idiot, and asking to be either hurt because of how naive he was, or taken advantage of for the same reason. Tom has a good head on his shoulders, though. That I have learned. He prefers his time alone to keep people like that away, and he doesn't rely on anybody for anything. In a way, he is like me, but more outgoing. I laugh as I watch children run around the park across from Tom's apartment. To be young again, and so carefree. At least Tom is relatively young, and I'll get to live out his life with him. He walks up his stairs and puts his keys through the lock of his door and suddenly screams. I jump inside his head and search for the culprit of his sudden outburst. I turn around, expecting to see no one, but the chills are back and the fear is through the roof as I make eye contact with the man from last night. He's plunging a knife into the back of Tom's leg and his smile is so unnerving that it makes me sick. Tom drops his groceries and they scatter across the floor. The man removes the knife and thrusts some cloth into Tom's face, stuffing it into his mouth. And within seconds, Tom passes out, and so do I. to dive deeper into the abyss of horror, darkness, and all things that go bump in the night? Look no further than the Anthology of Horror Podcast Network, your gateway to the macabre and the mysterious. But first, let's talk about our fellow fiends and ghouls on the network. Scary Jerry, our resident guide to the eerie unknown, hosts not one, but two spine-chilling shows. First up, we have Dark Side of the Nerd, where Jerry explores the darkest corners of nerd and geek culture revealing the shadows lurking beneath your favorite fandoms. 
Do you think you know everything about your favorite beloved franchises? Ha! Think again. Jerry uncovers the dark side of it all. And if that's not enough to send shivers down your spine, Jerry's got a little something extra for you with Demented Darkness. Brace yourselves for horrifying stories written by Jerry himself, including his spine-tingling sequel to The Death Valley Man. Trust us, you won't want to listen to this one alone. But wait, there's more. Ever wanted to laugh while embracing the dark and edgy side of gaming? Well, look no further than Foxhound43 streaming on Rumble. He's your hilarious video game streamer and good-natured edgelord that you never knew you needed. Prepare to laugh your ass off as you follow his epic gameplay adventures. And now for our newest addition to the network, we present Crypt of Horror, hosted by the mysterious Wolf Dan. Here we delve into all things related to horror entertainment, movies, books, music, games, and beyond. If you're a horror aficionado, this show is your cryptic haven. But that's not all, my fellow fear seekers. We've just unleashed a limited edition t-shirt to celebrate our Halloween special, featuring the infamous mugshot of none other than myself, Spring-Heeled Jack. This design is a collector's dream, but beware, quantities are limited and this shirt will vanish into the night come November 1st. Visit our merch shop now at aohpmerch.com to secure your piece of horror podcast history. So whether you're a fan of the eerie unknown, a nerd with a dark side, a horror enthusiast, or just looking for a good scare, the Anthology of Horror Podcast Network has you covered. Rate us five stars, share with your fellow thrill seekers, and join us for more tales that are guaranteed to haunt your dreams. Awaken what feels like hours later. It's dark now and we're not in Tom's apartment. I don't know where we are, and from the fear pulsing through Tom, neither does he. I look around and see that we are laying on the ground and Tom's wrists are tied behind his back. His feet are bound, and he is gagged as well. I make out that we are on cold dirt. I don't see anything else around us that could tell us where we are. Where the fuck are we? The only light around comes from the moon and after letting my eyes adjust, I can barely make out that we are in a forest of some sort. We must be hours outside of the city, out in the mountains. How long were we passed out for? Tom groans in pain, and I see that a wound on the back of his leg is bandaged up. I remember the stabbing, but I don't remember who did it or what happened. I don't think Tom remembers either. He's trying to chew through his gag, but it's no use. He cries out as loud as he can, but nobody replies. Maybe that's a good thing. If someone dumped him out here and left, then there's a chance to get through the bindings and maybe escape. My positivity is whipped out seconds later. Far off in the distance, I suddenly hear footsteps coming towards us. They are slow, dragging, intense. Whoever's walking towards us knows what they're doing. I try and glare through the darkness to make out who or what is coming towards us, but I can't see shit. Whoever is out there is staying in the shadows. I can feel Tom's fear. He's shaking like mad. He's never been a brave one. I try and be brave for both of us, and I take comfort in knowing that I can't actually be hurt should things go sideways. 
I am an asshole for thinking this. The dragging footsteps keep coming. God, what's going to happen? Who is this? I hope to God it's not a goddamn bear. I don't want to be part of that massacre. Tom is sweating. He's writhing and fidgeting, trying to loosen his bindings, but it's no use. He's stuck, and so am I. The footsteps suddenly stop, and there's nothing but a soft wind in the trees. I hold my breath, waiting for the jump. Hello, Tom cries stupidly through his gag. Shut up, Tom. Whoever's behind the trees does not respond with words, but with laughter. Evil, uncomfortably frightening laughter. Hello, Tom repeats, sweat dripping off his forehead. A step into the light, and our hearts stop. Greasy hair, dark eyes, dirty skin. The smiling man with a long knife and a bat. A long pair of shears glint in his belt. Tom begins to scream as I've never heard him scream before. He is twisting and shaking, screaming, all he can for the man to stay away, but the man continues to laugh maniacally, walking towards him. I swear, and I curse the man to cease walking, but of course, he can't fucking hear me. Nobody can. I ignore this and continue to threaten the man. Don't you dare hurt Tom. Get the fuck away from us. Who do you think you are? The man is now inches away from Tom's frightened face, and I suddenly know exactly who he is. The man from the apartment, and on the streets yesterday. And probably the same man from the news. We never saw his face on TV, but he is fucking jarring to look at. His face is dirty and disgusting, and he smells of rotten garbage and manure. His eyes are black and soulless, and his teeth are mangled. A few of them are missing. It makes for a very unfortunate smile. He breathes into Tom's face and the smell makes me want to throw up. Tom actually does, with his gag still shoved between his teeth. Some sputters out, but he begins to choke on it, and so do I. I feel the sensation that I'm choking and it's a feeling I haven't felt since I was alive myself. What's happening? The smiling man laughs and forces Tom on his back so he can't force his puke out of his mouth. I am quaking with fear now, as I am choking along with him. The man has climbed on top of Tom, all of his weight sitting on his chest. Jesus Christ. Tom is trying to fight, but he is now swallowing his own puke and regurgitating it. A horrifying cycle. I'm trying to wrap my mind around the sensations that I'm feeling. Over the past year, I've never been able to feel any of Tom's emotions like he does. And now, it's as if I'm dying alongside with him. But I'm already dead. I don't understand what's going on. I'm panicking. Tom is panicking. The man is laughing as he puts all of his weight on Tom. I'm trying to overcome my own feelings and somehow burst through the other side to gain control of Tom's body, but it doesn't work. We are both dying. Tom is dying. I am dying. A release of pressure, and the man stands up. He is still laughing, but he lets Tom breathe. I breathe. The incoming air feels angelic, a relief. The man suddenly kneels down and with his knife cuts Tom's gag. Tom takes a sharp breath and rolls over to once again puke. It seems to last for several minutes. His body can't comprehend what the actual fuck is happening. As he continues to be sick, facing away from the man, I turn around and I watch, and the man drops his knife and swings a bat down onto Tom's head. I yell out, but nobody hears me. Tom screams, a kind of scream I've never heard him make. The pain explodes through his body, through me. I am screaming with him. I feel as if I'm bleeding, but only Tom is. The man bellows, a disgusting laugh, as he swings again. And this time, Tom is smashed into the ground. We are hit several more times and my vision is blurred. 
Tom's face is bloody and wrecked. He can't even speak now. He's coughing, choking on his own blood. I am writhing inside of his head, which is probably going to be obliterated here soon. I find myself praying to God to help rescue Tom. Tom is a good kid. He's never hurt a soul since I've been with him. If he were a terrible human being, he would have shown himself by now. But God doesn't hear me, or God doesn't care. The man drops the bat and picks up his knife again. He moves, so he is standing in front of Tom now and holding the knife inches from Tom's face. He pokes Tom lightly, and Tom cries out. All this sick fucker does is laugh. He's getting off on torturing my poor Tom. I keep calling out for someone, anybody. Nobody hears me, and no one comes. No one is coming to help us. Tom's legs and wrists are still bound together. He's completely helpless. The only way he can possibly escape is if he can get a hold of the man's knife. But I know it will not happen. He has the upper hand, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He pokes Tom again, this time on the cheek. Tom pulls away, holding in his cries. He's trying to be brave, and I can feel his anger pumping. But his fear is still echoing in his head. The man stops laughing. He gives Tom a slight grimace, but Tom refuses to look at him. Good. Eat a dick, asshole. Everything is silent for what feels like several minutes. The man is stroking Tom's face with his knife, but he's not hurting us. He is no longer smiling, but he doesn't seem angry either. I'm not going to let you go, he suddenly says, his face returning to its original smiling form. Tom looks up at him instinctively, and I close my eyes as the man suddenly grabs the back of Tom's head and plunges the knife straight into his eye. Tom lets out a shriek, and I do too as the pain pierces through his body. My own eye is bursting with pain, and my scream is elongated as the knife is twisting and being retracted slowly, pulling Tom's eyeball out with it. My eyeball. Blood is everywhere. There's so much noise between the laughter and the screaming, I feel as if I might faint. With a tiny plop, his eye is tossed to the dirt. It's like I'm holding one eye closed now. Blood is pouring from Tom's socket. It feels as if blood is pouring from mine as well. I can't comprehend what the fuck is happening anymore. I want to pass out from the pain, but Tom is still somehow conscious. Jesus Christ. The man pushes Tom back down onto his back, and once again sits on top of his chest. Blood splatters everywhere from the force of the fall. The man licks his knife, and slowly pushes it into Tom's other eye. My head is split open. I am crying from the pain that's shooting through Tom's body. He is screaming in agony, and the disgusting squelch of his eye being literally torn from its socket overpowers anything else. He throws up again, once again being forced to choke on it. I am holding my eye and choking on vomit as well. Another minute passes, and the man alleviates his weight for a moment as Tom rolls over to puke out everything again. I open my eyes, and I am blind. I am screaming so loud I can't believe that Tom and this psychopath can't hear me. I can't fucking see. Jesus Christ, save me. Save Tom. Save me. I hear the man's breathing. I hear Tom's sputtering breaths. The crushing weight of the man returns, and I cough with Tom as he tries to regain control of his own breathing. The man's breath is foul and filling our lungs. Tom has to gain control or he's going to choke to death on his own vomit. Tears are running down our face, and he's whispering please to the man with no soul. His weight shifts, and I hear the knife drop beside us. The unmistakable sound of the shears being pulled from his belt fills the air. 
He rolls Tom over onto his stomach, shoving his face down into the cold earth. We inhale dirt, sputtering and spitting to get it out of our throats. There's more laughter. I feel the shears placed around Tom's left arm, just above the elbow. He squeezes slowly, just to draw blood. A finger runs across the wound, and the man makes an obnoxious slurping noise as he sucks on the bloody finger. Tom gags again. Stop fucking vomiting, I yell at him. Piercing pain leaves us breathless as the shears are plunged into Tom's back, over and over and over again. All I can hear is Tom's screams, my own screams, and the catch and release of being stabbed over and over and over again in the back. I can feel my blood being splayed everywhere. I can feel my ribs breaking from the weight of the bastard on top of me. I can feel my heart pounding so hard through my chest I know it's going to explode. I can feel everything that Tom is feeling. His fear is bellowing through his body, his screams of pure terror echoing throughout the forest. The man retracts the shears for a minute to gain Tom's trust that he is finished filleting us. Tom gasps, and as he exhales, the bone-slicing pain of the shears pierce through the back of his neck, and the man pulls them apart with such a force that we are split open and done. that's going to be it for today dear listeners as the shadows stretch long and our night of terror concludes we bid you farewell from this episode of anthology of horror but remember the darkness never truly sleeps before we part ways let me remind you of the sinister treasures awaiting you at our merch store explore aohpmerch.com and seize the limited edition halloween t-shirt featuring my stupid ass face in my mugshot on a shirt This collector's item is available for a limited time only, so don't let it vanish like a phantom in the night. And here's a simple way to support the show if you're broke. Rate us five stars. It's free, and a powerful way to keep the darkness alive. Share our tales amongst your friends, and together, we'll continue to unearth the mysteries that lurk in the shadows. For those who wish to follow the footsteps of horror, find me on Instagram at DukeLandis17. There you'll discover more glimpses into the macabre and the world of Anthology of Horror. As we bid adieu, remember that our Halloween special continues with a new episode every day throughout the entire month of October, so stay tuned, stay eerie, and may your dreams be haunted by the echoes of our tales. But more importantly than any of that is that you stay spooky. We were the magnificent dreamers In secret lamplight hideouts Swore the world couldn't break us Even when the world took us down And so here I am struggling out in the mighty jungle Moving 18 miles a minute But not slowing down for nothing And I look to my left And I look to my right And I'm calling out for my brothers But it's so dark in this night Am I alone? Did they fall down by the wayside? Cause I'm moving too blind to see them Were they calling out to me? Or did despair set in? And were the things that we wanted We were still 16, only 
Stay.